Welcome to a bonus episode of the Great Trials Podcast. Uh, Steve and Yvonne here, and we are talking with Zoe Littlepage. Um, Zoe, how are you doing today? Very good. Um, well, what we're talking to you about is powerful demonstratives, uh, demonstrative aids that are used at trials. So for our listeners and anybody who may not know, and you know, and we always try to, I, I, I know that most of the people who listen to this are trial lawyers and understand, but you know, we're hoping we get a few people who aren't trial lawyers. So explain to, the, to our non-trial lawyers what a demonstrative aid is. A demonstrative aid is something that you use at trial in front of the jury. It's not evidence. It doesn't go back to the jury in deliberation, but it's something that is designed to help demonstrate your point, which is why it's called demonstrative aid. So it's it's something visual. It can be an actual what we call a courtroom toy. So it can be something that you hold in your hand or that you move around. Um, for example, if it's a car defect case, it might be a whole mock-up of a car. Mm -hmm. If it's a construction defect case, it might be a mock-up of a house that shows you know, what went wrong in the construction process. And it's not designed um, to be a piece of evidence the jury relies on. It's designed to be something that helps cement your theme, your concepts in the jury's mind. Yeah, and I find that, you know, when you're talking to a jury about, you know, whatever it is, especially, you know, in the uh, automotive defect or whatever, it, it really helps to have an exemplar there where you can just walk the jury through exactly what it is, how it operates, what went wrong with it. And it's, uh, and, you know, and, and it really is truly a courtroom toy as you, uh, uh, because I just love to, uh, you know, get witnesses down, put them in the, you know, put them in or put it something in their hands, make them play with it, or especially, you know, defense experts. Um, but, um, but yeah, talk about some of your ideas for, uh, you know, making powerful demonstratives for, uh, for the juries to really bring the point home. Well, I think a lot of trial is educating the jury. I mean, we bring these people off the street that know nothing about your kind of case, and then we throw a bunch of stuff at them and we expect them to come up with a result. So to start is you have to give them some basic education about how a car should be properly designed or how a drug should be properly warned and marketed in order for them to be able to make this big decision of whether the company did the right or the wrong thing. And so anytime that you can put something demonstrative in front of them that helps them either catalog the evidence, appreciate what they're seeing or hearing um, can be really important. I'll give you an example. We're working right now on a, a big case that's going to go to trial against Boeing. And our claim in the case is that Boeing defectively designed virtually all of their planes since the 1950s because of the way the air that you breathe in the cabin comes into the cabin. Well, it's hard for me when someone walks into the, to the courtroom as a juror, they've been in a plane they know they breathed in air, but they don't know how the air got there. So to have a blow up that shows that the air you breathe in the cabin comes from outside, and that's great because outside air at 30,000 feet is clean, but it's very cold. So to warm it up, the way Boeing decided in the 1950s is to drag the air in through the engines, which are very hot. Right. And then it's bled <laughs> off the engines and comes into the cabin. That's a usually a perfectly fine solution unless from time to time something goes wrong in the engines. So those engines are full of very toxic chemicals. They have very toxic engine oils, hydraulic fluids, lubricants that when they're heated up, pyrolyze and turn into gas. 
And that gas gets into the air and comes straight into the cabin. And in those toxins are neurotoxins that can cause brain damage. Our position is that Boeing should have put a filter in the bleed air mm -hmm. system, like you have in your house or your car, that would take out all those contaminants before they got into the cabin. And Airbus does it, and Boeing doesn't. And right. that's one of our, our, but in order for the jury to understand exactly where the filter could have fit, exactly how it would have worked, exactly how the air flows into the cabin, we have a big demonstrative that, that walks them through that. And without the demonstrative, I mean, I'm a pretty good storyteller, but it still right. really helps if you can see it. You know, I'm like the picture book, you know, the picture book is always better than when you were a little kid and mom was reading to you. It was always more fun to see Rapunzel in the castle with her blonde hair coming out the window than just hearing the story. And so I think demonstratives are the picture book. You know, they're the, they're the thing that cements the story. You know, you remember Rapunzel's story, but you rem really remember the picture of the tower and the prince at the bottom calling up to her. And that's where I think the power of demonstratives is, is to educate, to cement, to persuade, um, and to bring uh, sometimes analogies to the jury that they might not hear otherwise. Zoe, do you have a preference between, um, you know, we talk to people and um, I think we have some people at our firm who still like to have for the good stuff, they like an old school physical, you know, board that they can point to. Um, but, you know, do you have a preference as far as, you know, if you've got PowerPoint slides or computer animations or something physical, um, what's kind of your preference there? All of the above. And here's yeah. why. I think our, I think it's not just millennials. We can't just blame millennials. I think um, all, everybody that's on a jury has a different attention span and a different focus level now. We are used to multimedia. So I like a board, but I also like a board and PowerPoint and courtroom toys. And you mix it up because that is what your audience is used to. And if you don't feed what they're used to, you won't keep their attention. Hmm. So I, yeah. I do them all. I, I write on a flip chart. I have blow up boards. I have PowerPoint. I have it all. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I totally agree. And I, I was just thinking, you know, I, I thought Yvonne was talking about me when she said that. <laughs> uh, I, I, I like to use them all too. The, um, but, you know, it's like, I, I love to use a good model. I love to use, uh, you know, a, a good um, you know, animation or, or, or a PowerPoint, but, it, but when it comes to cross-examination, uh, the thing I like the most is just an old-fashioned flip chart. I love to write my point, you know, as yeah. you're making them with the witness, write them up there, make sure it's cemented with the jury. Yes. So you use uh, all, all of the above. Um, well, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I think, you know, we, we've also talked about in this sort of uh, society with um, – you know, all of what we see on TV every day that, that juries expect uh, a demonstrative aids like this, especially with the uh, sort of CSI mentality that some people have uh, talked about. Um, but do you find that with the, with the jurors that when you talk to them afterwards, you know, whether or not they point out whether or not a, a specific demonstrative aid was particularly effective or, or did they ever tell you that something just didn't work or, you know. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the know. things you ask is because you spend yeah. a lot of money and time thinking up the demonstrative aid. So I do ask. I also think that it keeps their attention. So I remember we tried a very long case in San Antonio and it was probably like a three month 
case. And at the end of it, I went to thank the jurors for their verdict and also for their time. And there was an older gentleman who had sat in the back. He was very quiet, didn't really show a lot of emotion. And I went to thank him and I said, you know, I know you're retired, but three months is a long time. And I'm sure you had lots of better things to do with your time than sit here. And he said, are you kidding? On a Friday <laughs> afternoon, I would tell my wife, I can't wait to see what she does on Monday. <laughs> I think, you know, I, look, I think trial is theater. You have the honor of representing an injured person and telling their story. It's your obligation to tell the most engaging, charismatic story you can. And visuals help that. They Absolutely. Help you tell that story better. Absolutely. Well, and, and I, I completely agree. And I, I wanted to point out, because I was, as I was looking through your CV, Zoe, I noticed that one of the uh, articles that you've written uh, is called Keep Jurors Awake with Powerful Visuals. So I would think that would be yeah, <laughs> a, a, good, uh, a good article to read. And especially, you know, in the afternoon, they've come right. back from lunch, you know, it kind of dragging on the testimony. You better have something fun that's coming up that's interesting that will get their attention. And I don't blame them, you know? Oh, I mean, you know, as us lawyers who've tried the case, I mean, I found my time, my, you know, myself right after lunch, if, you know, for some reason, somebody's got a video deposition up there and you're like, man, my eyes are getting heavy. So, and, and, you know, we're invested in the case. So it's um, your, it's your job as the advocate to make the information understandable and approachable and where your message is getting across. We, one of the things that you know we always worry about with the with demonstrative aids is they can get quite expensive. Do you have any tips for our listeners about uh, keeping demonstrative aids uh, reasonable, or, or you know, in a uh, trying to keep the cost down on them, especially when you might have a case that's not a multi million dollar case, but you know, is a you know a not not doesn't have as significant value, but you still want to make a good point. Yeah, and I think that's very important because I think even in the smallest four or five hour trial you should be at least dragging a flip chart down there. You can go and get these black and white blowups. They cost under 10 bucks and you should have at least one timeline chart or something that helps the jury understand the chronology of your case or what you think is important. Yes, I agree that when it's very expensive, it's hard to justify the cost, but there's lots of easy ways to do it. And if there's, I agree with you, if there's nothing else, stand in the well of the courtroom with a flip chart and at least highlight your points by writing them up and making sure that the jury understands why this is an important point. And you know what? We're all students. So when you write something on a flip chart, jurors often will write it down because when a teacher wrote stuff on the chalkboard, we wrote it down. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you often want to save one of your best points to be a flip chart point because that can often be the thing the jury remembers the most because it's in their notes from that witness at that time of the day. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I was just thinking, you know, I remember some of the cases in the past on car wreck cases, I would just go over to the toy store and look for, you know, little model cars. And that way you've got something you can use in front of the jury and explain how a crash happened or something like that. Yeah. Uh, So there's all all kinds of inexpensive ways to do it. We have made, Uh, I use a lot of red flags because I think it's very important for the jury to keep track of the the times the company was told that their conduct wasn't right and wasn't good and wasn't appropriate and they didn't fix it. And so they had all these opportunities to sort of remedy their bad conduct before my client got injured. 
and I just make them out of like red felt with on a popsicle mm-hmm. stick. And yeah, I stick them, you know, I stick them in a row in front of the jury. And when you're at 10 or 12 or 15 opportunities for the company to have done the right thing, and each time they just ignored you, those red flags can be very powerful. And yes, you can say it, you can call it a red flag, but when they actually see one by one you sticking into, you know, a, a sponge board, popsicle stick after popsicle stick of a red flag, and they kind of see that this was, this was five years ago, this was eight years ago, this was 10 years ago, and the company is consistently making bad decisions. It, it, it's really obvious that they were falling way below the standard for a reasonable company. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's a, such a great way to show is just have red flags all over the courtroom. Yeah. Jurors remember stuff like that. Yes. Well, this has been a, this has been a, a bonus episode and, and we want to thank Zoe Littlepage for coming on. If you want to look up Zoe and read about her or contact her, look up littlepagebooth.com. Zoe, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Nice talking to you.